I'm a science educator, and today we're going to talk about heart disease and what public health does about it. We tend to associate heart disease with aging men, but it can affect anyone. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that heart disease accounts for one in four of all deaths in the U.S. And while some studies have shown a decline in these rates since the 1960s, it's still the single leading cause of death in the world today for adults of all races and genders. Now, heart disease isn't actually a single disease, but a group of them. And all of those diseases fall under the broader category of cardiovascular disease, which is itself an umbrella term for all the health conditions affecting the heart and blood vessels. In 2016, nearly half of US adults were living with some form of cardiovascular disease. Part of what makes heart diseases so deadly is that they often don't show many obvious signs until they're already late stage. Take coronary artery disease, or CAD, which happens when the arteries supplying oxygen-rich blood to the heart muscle narrow or harden. And when the heart muscle doesn't get enough oxygen, it can start to die. That's what we call a heart attack. Unfortunately, most people don't know they have coronary artery disease until they experience a heart attack. It's no wonder that CAD killed over 300,000 people in 2019, and that's just in the U.S. What's more, heart attacks themselves don't always look like we'd expect. One in five of them are silent, meaning they're so mild or brief that people ignore them or confuse them with exhaustion or heartburn. It also doesn't help that the most well-known symptoms of heart attacks, like sudden chest pain, were based on medical studies done on men. Women, on the other hand, are more likely to experience subtler symptoms during a heart attack, like nausea and vomiting, lightheadedness, or pain in the back, stomach, or jaw. Heart attacks are actually increasing among young women, but because research and prevention of heart disease has been focused on older men for so long, women who present different symptoms tend to be overlooked, which can lead to worse health outcomes. One study, which looked at data between 1995 to 2014 from various parts of the U.S., found that hospitalizations for heart attacks increased 10% for women between the ages of 35 and 54, and only 3% for men in the same age group. These women were more likely to have high blood pressure or diabetes, which are conditions that can damage blood vessels and make circulation more difficult, often leading to heart disease. But doctors were less likely to screen or treat women for heart disease, even if they showed these risk factors. One piece of good news here is that many of the risk factors for heart disease are modifiable, which means we can make lifestyle changes to address them. We can avoid smoking to prevent the hardening of blood vessels. Okay, that's all we need to hear about that. Hello there, welcome. Pull up a chair. Bet you didn't think you'd hear from me so quickly, but I have some interesting information for you today. And I'm going to be cold reading this file because I kind of like that. And you wonder, why am I talking about hearts? Well, interesting story about our hearts. Even more interesting story about why we... I See, I, I don't believe that we had electricity before, okay? There's a, there's a couple schools of thought. There's people that believe that all these mud floods and all this stuff, they talk about, oh, look, this tall thing on that building that's shooting electricity from building to building. Well, how about this? How about if we were so advanced that we didn't need to shoot anything from building to building? And besides the fact, why would we shoot electricity when our body is electricity and we couldn't do anything more damaging to our bodies than to shoot it with electricity? 
and radiation. So <laughs> I think you start to see where this plot line might be going. So let me get this file open because I was looking into um, this business with seed oil and um, you know how all this stuff got going and um, interesting story about the American Heart Association <laughs> excuse me the American Heart Association also known as the AHA so let me get to that in a second here because yeah at the intersection of seed oil the most damaging thing for our bodies and <laughs> all of this is the American Heart Association so the heart has played an important role in understanding the body since antiquity. In the 4th century BC, the Greek philosopher Aristotle identified the heart as the most important organ of the body, the first to form according to his observations on chick embryos. It was a seat of intelligence, motion, and sensation, a hot, dry organ. Aristotle described it as a three-chambered organ that was a center of vitality in the body. Other organs surrounded it. The brain, lungs, simply existed to cool the heart. So anyways, so there was this book he wrote on the usefulness of the parts of the body. I know, Gallen affirmed common ideas about the heart. Okay, no, that's just too much to go. What, what I noticed about this, about hearts in this country, is this. Because I mentioned this in the past, if an ambulance, if you're having heart or what might appear to be heart distress, the ambulance drivers are trained to hit you with a defibrillator and a big shot of magnesium to kick your heart going, right? What does that do? Well, um, I'm not going to get into all, go look up on Wikipedia what the heart is as far as the chambers and all that because that'd be kind of a ridiculous thing to talk about today. <laughs> Okay, so I'm starting to wander here, so let me try to wander back here. Okay, so um, in the late 40s, remember the last show I was talking about the man who um, came up with the K rations and all that. That all enters into this picture here <laughs> in a terrifying way. Okay, in the late 1940s, a small group of cardiologists, that means heart doctors, who were members of the still somewhat new American Heart Association received $1.5 million donation from Procter & Gamble. Thanks, Procter & Gamble gave them a million and a half dollars, which I think in today's date would be about $13 million, okay? So there was just this little group of cardiologists, they get this big flush of money from Procter & Gamble. Um, they were the, Procter & Gamble's were the makers of Crisco. <laughs> Crisco is the new alternative. Before then, people used lard, okay? They used animal fats. They used butter. They used all these things. And while I'm, while I'm on this subject, if you want to get away from seed oils, um, just, it's pretty simple. And you can get um, organic olive oil, coconut oil, organic coconut oil, or... Um, something else I'll think about it but anyway oh ghee g-h-e-e -E, which is a clarified butter and right now butter you can get g cheaper than you can actually the butter but anyway I got to get back on here so so anyway so so yeah so right here at this intersection okay along comes Procter & Gamble they're making up this stuff called Crisco right the new stuff new fancy 
don't don't use that old animal lard that's bad we got something new for you right always evil always coming packaged as help so the funding helped to grow its national profile as a physician's organization dedicated to heart health <laughs> it also was quickly to endorse industrial seed oils more kindly referred to by now as vegetable oils as a healthier alternative to traditional animal fats around the same time an ambitious physiologist and researcher named Ansel Keys now Ansel Keys was the one who invented the tea rations I was just talking about the, the or K rations excuse me the K rations the K rations because his name was Keys K-E-Y-S okay so I was reading through this and I thought yeah I, I just remember this guy's name from somewhere okay so Around the same time, an ambitious, ambitious psychologist, physio, excuse me, physiologist and researcher named Ansel Keys introduced his diet lipid hypotheses, in which he presented data that seemed to suggest a link between saturated fat and cholesterol intake and heart disease. Since animal fats are a rich source of dietary saturated fat and cholesterol, they quickly became the object of his derision. Citing animal fats as unhealthy, Keyes instead recommended the consumption of poly, polyunsaturated fatty acids, which, prim, which primarily research had associated with reductions in cholesterol and the risk of heart disease. So they said that it reduced heart disease. Key's conclusions were in line with the industry seed oil industry's motives to get to get people to eat more seed oil. So yeah, this person who came up with the K rations also had his grubby little paws in this seed oil business. Soon ads for heart healthy margarine, a solid form of vegetable oil, and other seed oils became commonplace, and healthy traditional fats were all but forgotten. While Key's lipid hypothesis is now understood to be based upon faulty research, his ideas nonetheless permeated the medical community. Soon, many medical organizers, including the National Cholesterol Education Program and the National Institutes of Health, had hopped aboard the anti-animal fat train, echoing the AHA's advice that people should avoid animal fat and instead consume polyunsaturated vegetable oils such as Crisco and other shortenings, soybean oil, and corn oil. This confluence of events and mutual interests led to the sweeping replacement of natural dietary fats such as lard and butter with unsaturated industrial seed oils, indelibly, indelibly changing the shape of the American and eventually the global food landscape. And right here at this juncture of time, <laughs> I always have to figure out when this stuff got started. Here it is. Only in recent years has the validity of the health claims associated with industrial seed oils been seriously called into question. A 2014 meta-analysis found no benefit to overall health from reducing saturated fats or increasing vegetable oils. Furthermore, the evidence does not support current dietary guidelines urging people to replace saturated fats with vegetable oils. Well, now that it is in everybody's minds that these are the good fats, the bad fats, the L there's all this stuff about the LDs and all that stuff that you can go take a look at. But right there in time, Keyes had this lipid hypothesis, okay, that was based on faulty 
to not, I don't think they really did any research. I haven't run across anything, so. Okay. There's a, it said, in fact, a growing body of research, well, I don't know what research, that the consumption of industrial seed oils has significant adverse effects on our health. Well, of course it does, because um, the United States has the worst health, <laughs> heart health in the whole world. Why is that? Well, I don't know. Look no further than our diet. Look at our smart meters. I mean, just look around. Um, so, because what I find very interesting, and I'll say this one more time, up until the 1900s, humans did not consume industrial seed oils. It just went from 1970 to 2000. The average consumption of one industrial seed oil, soybean oil, skyrocketed from a mere four pounds per person per year to a whopping 26 pounds per person per year. That is a lot, lot, lot of soil. Okay. Um, today, the primary fatty acid in industrial seed oils accounts for 8% of our intake. Our, in our hunter-gatherer ancestors, it, what does it say here? Cut it off? Well, I cut it off, okay. So then I read this piece and it said, the American Heart Association has been in the fake news business for decades. This means everything your doctor learned about heart attacks, strokes, LDL, and HDL cholesterol, and nutrition is wrong. In fact, the nutrition advice coming from our most trusted institutions couldn't be better designed to make you sick. I rest my case. So yeah, so there's a whole, uh, uh, let me read this interesting passage. It was called, um, The Invention of High Cholesterol, The, the Invention of High Cholesterol Panic. Once upon a time, only a few people on the planet knew what cholesterol was, and they were chemists or otherwise super-specialized scientists. Doctors had not yet begun to question the traditional foodways that they themselves benefited from, and housewives, tradesmen, lawyers, and yes, doctors too, all went about their days enjoying foods loaded with cholesterol and fats that raised blood cholesterol levels just as all of humanity has since the beginning. Brings up my point again. They also are ingesting the same stuff they push on us. The change came in 1948 during a meeting of the American Heart Association when the doctors assembled decided to reinvent the organization. Instead of raising money from member physicians, the leadership wanted to start, to start foregoing corporate partnerships. Oh, excuse me, to start forging corporate partnerships. It sounds like the FDA, right? <laughs> A short while later, the AHA had landed its first big fish with nice deep pockets lining with gold from selling their cholesterol-free butter alternative made with vegetable oil. F that was Crisco. Fast forward 70 years. Today, I doubt you can't find an adult in this country who hasn't heard of cholesterol. Most people I speak with about cholesterol blood tests are understandably worried about their results. And little wonder. The information we get from the media, food labels, and blood test reports has programmed not just doctors, but everyone to be afraid of cholesterol. This fear influences our daily food choices and our shopping and snacky habit. snacking habits. It's a big part of everybody's life. And you'll have to go read more about 
the big trick that started in 1948. Okay, um, and went on to say, we're so scared of cholesterol, we don't even ask Google the normal questions like what is cholesterol or is cholesterol bad? We jump right to search phrases like how to lower cholesterol and new cholesterol drug, according to Google Trends. When you click on how to lower your cholesterol, the typical arc article will tell you to start cutting out saturated fat and replacing it with polyunsaturated fats. Okay, um, I have more about this Ansel person um, I'll talk about here. Um, because this was a big plot, the big plot to get us away from what we were eating, which wasn't killing us to food that would in fact kill us, right? Ansel Keys essentially gave a pass to all factors leading to chronic disease. Most Americans' daily exercise consists of squeezing ketchup on their fries. Yet hundreds of millions have, have been spent trying to confirm Keys' heart health hypothesis to convince themselves of the shitty diet they've adopted today. Digging a little deeper, research ends up producing results that disapprove the hypothesis. So yeah, Keyes was very wrong. To this day, the anti-fat gospel is still the most recommended diet in all nutritional recommendations. And the USDA has done nothing to clear the damage caused by Keyes' hypothesis. In 2010, the USDA released their updated guidelines still recommending 45% of calories from carbs and minimal animal saturated fats. Well, to me, now you'll have to think about how this looks to you. This to me looks like the big part of the eugenics program, right? Because if we're only eating highly inflammatory foods that are inflaming our hearts, right? Tick, tick, tick. Okay, um, the idea that saturated fat is unhealthy is so ingrained in our culture that many forget that it started as just an idea. The biologists who came up with the theory keys first targeted cholesterol as the culprit for coronary heart disease. He found that arterial plaques contain cholesterol, and since animal fats also contain cholesterol, he claimed that cholesterol causes heart disease. Keyes spent the 1950s trying to prove his theory, but ended up finding that no matter how much dietary cholesterol he fed volunteers, the level in their blood was unchanged. The evidence, both from experiments and from field surveys, indicates that cholesterol content, per se, of all natural diets has no significant effect on either the cholesterol level or the development of arthrosclerosis in man. Still interested in cholesterol as a root cause, Keyes aimed his sights elsewhere. To silence the doubters, Keyes interviewed 12,700 middle-aged men in Italy, Greece, Yugoslavia, Finland, the Netherlands, Japan, and the United States, and measured key health information. It is called the infamous Seven Country Study. You can look that up, Seven Country Study. The results showed vastly different, different rates of heart attacks between countries, but most importantly, it uncovered the correlation he sought between saturated fat and heart disease. So um, Keyes concluded that whether or not cholesterol are involved, 
it must be concluded that dietary fat somehow is associated with cardiac disease mortality at least in the middle age at least in middle age so he just came up with this idea okay and also it's not in here i don't believe but the u.s um i can't remember what branch of the u.s government but it was around the 60s that they uh they when they ushered in the rest of this stuff but but it all got started by this keys person Key's conclusions would turn out to be incorrect and dishonest. <clears throat> so, they did some other studies, but the bottom line is these key studies stayed there, okay? Okay, so he, um, I don't think there's much more. Oh, this was a really crazy part about his study. Um, this study is a randomized trial, which means that it's claimed that high fat causes heart disease isn't necessarily causal. The relationship can be caused by other reasons. For example, imagine observing that everybody that lived in a large New York City apartment was wealthy, and then concluding that buying the apartment made people rich. The Caucasian is backwards. Yes, the people got rich, then they bought the apartment, right? Um, so anyway, so... By 1961, the, the American Heart Association recommended that butter, 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 should be replaced with polyunsaturated seed oils. The claim was to lower cholesterol levels. And also, um, the majority of people in this country are on cholesterol meds. That was part of the push because there's a lot of money in these, in these pills. Um, when they used to test mine, when I used to go to a doctor, they would say sneaky things to me like, well, what, what pharmacist should we call this prescription into? I said, what prescription? They go, well, the prescription for your blood cholesterol. I said, really? I've got high cholesterol? Well, what they've been doing is rigging the numbers all along so that everybody would qualify. Okay. Okay. See, this is the part. We keep getting back to that 1906. Crisco was skill, skillfully marketed as a cheaper alternative to lard. And in 1911, Procter & Gamble launched a brilliant campaign to put Crisco into every American household. They produced a recipe book, all of which used Crisco, of course, and gave it away for free. This was unheard of at the time. I keep saying this is about marketing. Crisco was adeptly marketed as a more versatile butter. It could be used for frying, baking, and cooking. It could be stored at room temperature. They even claimed it was easier to digest and healthier to. The American Heart Association said that Crisco also lowered cholesterol. Through the 60s, through the excuse me, through the 1900s, Crisco and other cottonseed oils consumption skyrocketed. Okay. Okay, that's more than I want to do. Um, so yeah, the Procter and Gamble, the big pharma, the Heart Association, American Heart Association, they are all crooked, and I don't think I need to go through them one by one. But okay. Heart disease is now the number two killer in the United States. Yeah, let me get down to our heart thing here. Um, so yeah, this whole thing about the seed oil, not only was to lower our 
harm our hearts, but I believe that all this inflammation would be highly bad for our hearts, right? And then let's not forget, I talked about the John Harvey Kellogg person that said that masturbation pre prevented things. Um, that was, he was pushing Kellogg's cornflakes. Not with masturbation, not the heart, sorry. Um, reducing meat intake and cholesterol hurts sex hormone production. This is why we have the least masculine men in history today. Sperm counts are an all-time low. Testosterone is at an all-time low. Mental toughness is at an all-time low. Now, I'm not making any accusations. I'm just reading here, okay? But yeah, men, men well, maybe you, might, maybe you might have heard me say this before. Maybe you didn't quite believe me back then, okay? But I believe that because... 99.9% .9 of babies born in this country, the United States, get born in hospitals. I believe that the reason we have these feminine men and rather masculine women is because they're all getting shots of the opposite sex. How hard would that be? That baby, the babies don't even stay with their mothers, okay? If a mother wants to bond with the baby for skin-on-skin -skin contact after that baby is born, most U.S. hospitals charge like $35, $35 to hold her own baby, right? Because they're in such a rush to get that baby to the back room. And also, when these freaks show up to get their babies, you know, the, 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 the elites, when they show up to get a baby because they can't have their own, where do they walk into? They walk into a hospital. The hospital is the one holding that baby that they walk out with. This thing is so dirty. I can't even get started. So anyway, so, yeah, so all of this is to make our hormones, to make us into these. They have this thing about this sexless person, okay? That is their thing, okay? So, um, and then, you know, all, all of their scientists, all of their people, let me just give you a good example here before I start going off on this other stuff. <laughs> just three years ago, it was discovered that the sugar industry paid the Harvard scientists consulting on the dietary guidelines to shift the heart health blame away from sugar. The newly really—I'm sorry—I don't know what date this is. The newly released documents show that the Sugar Research Foundation paid three Harvard scientists fifty thousand dollars each to publish a paper shifting the blame from sugar to fat. The studies were published in the New England Journal of Medicine, a prestigious journal, and were pivotal in the USDA guidelines. One of the scientists who was paid off by the sugar industry would later become the head of nutrition at the USDA where he helped with early stages of the food pyramid. <laughs> I could go on until, oh no, wait a minute, I lost my place here. I could go on until the cows come home. And you know, that, that's a good thing. The cows are getting ready to go home early, right? Um, so, yeah, so um, I have it down here. I'm sorry, I flew past it. Um, so I think you got an idea about how crooked this all is, right? Um, and this was a, um, the consequence, this was the last shift in nutrition, I think it was 2011 or something that said, um, the consequences of this shift in nutrition recommendations has been disastrous. Over 60% of people in the United States have diabetes. Over 60% have diabetes or prediabetes. 
Only 12% of people are metabolically healthy. Only 1.7 billion is spent on chronic disease annually. Addiction to comfort is at an all-time high. It is no coincidence that the largest increase in obesity in human history was right after the USDA told us what to eat. From 1975 to 2018, obesity tripled worldwide. So yeah, uh, so here's what I think it is. And um, these corrupt forces have destroyed our health. When carbohydrates, grains, and seed oils were elevated to a dietary staple, our heart was traded in exchange for profits for big pharma and big um, yeah, nutritional co-op. Ultimately, it was really these carbohydrates and seed oils that have caused chronic disease and weight, weight loss issues, not animal products and saturated fat. Now, I'm not offering this as medical advice. I'm not sure that animal fats are the way to go. I'm not sure about any of this stuff. All I'm saying is that maybe for the time that we have left or whatever's going on around this place, that maybe just be a little bit conscious of some things. Okay, that's all I'm suggesting. Um, we didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of here overnight. So, um, yeah, so let me talk a little bit about this electrical stuff. Um, okay, because... I started thinking about what is it about electricity that makes it so dangerous, okay? So dangerous to the human body was the question I've been asking because here, here I don't like to I don't like to hide the lead. Here's where I'm going with all this, okay? I believe as of right now, 2023, <laughs> because our bodies are electricity themselves that we didn't need electricity in the past. So Introducing electricity, when did they invent electricity? What, 1800-something, they supposedly invented electricity? And then the heart attacks and stuff started after that? Well, so anyway, so let me go, so that's my theory. My theory is 100%, we didn't need electricity, they gave us electricity because it was the best way to harm us, and I'll just leave it at that, okay? Electricity is dangerous because it can disrupt the electrical signals that the body uses to function properly. It can cause burns, heart failure, and muscle contradictions. It can also cause paralysis, which can lead to falls and other accidents. I know that many people would answer the question posed in the title by saying, because it can kill you, dummy, mean electricity. Because a true electric shock, if powerful enough, can kill you. But what exactly is it about electricity that makes it potentially lethal? And not just to people, but also animals, birds, and other living things. Why does experiencing a strong enough electric shock mean grievous injuries or even death to those individuals? And it says electricity inside the body. It's funny how electricity is considered to be a big threat and we are told to stay clear of it at all times, yet our own bodies only function because there is electricity inside them, or at least electrical signals are doing their thing. The elements present in our body, such as sodium, calcium, potassium, 
and magnesium have a specific electric charge. Almost all of our body cells use these charged elements called ions to generate small amounts of electricity. There are so many examples of how electric currents generated inside the body help it to run. For instance, in order for the heart to plump pump blood, cells must generate electric currents that allow the muscles of the heart to contract at precisely the right time. We can even measure the value of these electrical currents using a device called an electrocardiogram called an ECG. They hook you up to an ECG to get your heart rate. So, um, so they measure our currents by using a machine, right? <clears throat> our electrical currents. Of course, electric signals flow through our nerves all the time. They provide us with the power of muscle control, which helps us to sit, sit up, sit down, stand up, walk around, grab things, throw things, play video games. You get the idea, right? In short, they let us do everything. There are electrical synopsis that link two adjacent neurons and help pass nerve impulses at lightning speed. The entire anonymous nervous system only works because there are just the right amount of such synapses that have electrical impulses flowing through them. So it's pretty clear that our bodies depend on electricity to function properly, which is why it is generated inside the body. However, the power of those electrical signals are nothing compared to the currents that throw, flow through thick wires and large electrical appliances. How exactly do electric shocks harm people? Electric burns. The human body is not a perfect conductor of electricity as such. When it encounters electricity from an outside source, it offers resistance to the flow of electricity through itself. And as you might know, resistance to the flow of current, excuse me, resistance to the flow of current generates heat. Of, me, resisting to the flow of current generates heat. A lot of it if the electrical cord is powerful enough. So if one comes in contact with a power line with ampage, they run the risk of sustaining electric burns. And you also notice we get burns from radiation burning, okay? This is not just harmful to the exterior skin. Such burns can run deep and damage tissue, which can cause gangrene and necrosis. Unfortunately, that's why limbs sometimes need to be amputated if one falls victim to a high voltage mishap. Heart failure. The heart is an electrically well-tuned machine, which means that it relies on just the right amount of electric current to keep pumping. However, when you're electrocuted, all of that balance and control goes haywire. Electrocution can potentially interrupt or even completely stop those small electrical signals that tell the heart to pump. 
this can cause the heart to beat incorrectly or even stop beating altogether. Obviously, we all know that's not a situation one wants to be in if they want to survive. So electrocution, right? Electrocution gets the potentially, electrocution can potentially interrupt or even completely stop those small electrical signals, okay, that tell the heart to pump. And I believe, and this is just uh, what I'm thinking, I've never been to medical school, <laughs> but I think that is the whole purpose here because all this electricity, all of us, is, is toying with our hearts, right? So, however, not all electric shocks cause the heart to stop. It must be noted that the extent and type of damage caused by electric shocks hugely depend on which part of the body is hit, since electricity always seeks out the quickest path to reach the ground. That's why they say don't stand outside if there's a, a lightning, right? Because if you're the quickest thing to hit the ground, it'll hit you in the head. <laughs> Electrocution also causes muscle, muscle contradictions. Since our muscle system relies on small electric currents to work properly, it doesn't appreciate a sudden and large influx of electricity. When that happens, one can lose control over their muscles or experience spasms and muscle contradictions. In the worst case scenario, you might experience complete paralysis. That's why one can end up tightening their grip on the wire. Oh, excuse me. That's why one can end up tightening their grip on the wire when they're electrocuted rather than doing the opposite. Well, people, you'll grab onto it. A sudden loss of muscle control can also cause the victim to fall, which can be fatal if they hit solid ground at an awkward angle. Many electrocution victims suffer grievous bodily energy due to such falls and accidents, which result from a loss of muscle control after experiencing an electric shock. I wonder how many people that fall in their homes are really falling from getting zapped somewhere, right? You know, just something to think about, right? And because I like crazy details, I looked this up. How do birds not get electrocuted when they sit on power poles? <laughs> the reason birds don't get electrocuted when sitting on power lines is because they are not completing the circuit that is required for electricity to flow. If a bird were to have one foot on the wire and the other foot on the ground or a different wire, the bird would be electrocuted because it would be acting as a conducting medium. Characters in the movies often end up with a blackened face and frizzy hair after coming in contact with a live wire charged with electricity. As observers, we laugh our hearts out at these ridiculous moments, but in real life, a live wire wouldn't be so gentle. You'd end up with more than just fuzzy hair, torn clothes, and a crooked face. The thousands of volts could kill you instantaneously, unless you're a bird, that is. It's a very common sight to see birds perched on top of electrical wires, almost mocking at us with their ability to relax at such heights. Birds have no problem sitting undisturbed on the high voltage wires lining the roads, but it has nothing to do with them being birds. So, and as you've seen, squirrels can also run along them too. So now we know the mystery to birds and squirrels. Okay, um, so what's the explanation? I think that um, 
I would encourage you to go look further at all of this. Um, this is um, not medical advice or any kind of advice. I currently have my thermostat set at 44. Perfectly comfortable, okay? Once you get your body temperature down, we're fine. People used to layer up. They didn't used to have heaters and stuff like that, okay? Because personally, I feel like the more that energy gets thrown into the air, the worse it is. Now, I'm not saying that it's not in the air if you don't have the heat on. Because basically, it's in the air. But if you turn your heater on, circulating in the air makes it far worse. So if you have kiddos or any, any, any elderly people, I would suggest make it a game. Get everybody to bundle up. Lower that thermostat. You'll actually be saving some money because they won't be able to get you with a big electricity bill. And I believe, and it's just my belief, do not consider this advice because I've been testing it out. I believe you're better off not having that air circulating. So anyway, so enough of that. So I am going to um, close out here. Let me see how we're doing on time. Okay, I'm going to close out here. And I have this one thing I want to play. Um, um, it's from the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? Think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow. I was never told about the sorrows. Still feel the breeze that rustles through the trees and misty memories of days gone by. We could never see tomorrow. No one said a word about the sorrow.
also, they got electricity going, what, mid-1800s? Yeah. It's how I think. I would be um, interested to hear how you think about all this, but if our bodies are electricity, what better way to damage us than to introduce electricity into the mix, right? So, anyway, be safe out there. Goodbye for now.